Welcome to Murder and Mimosas. Just a quick disclaimer before we get started. Our show is Murder and Mimosas. It's a true crime podcast. This means that we do discuss crimes, including but not limited to disappearances, murder, and sexual assaults. All our episodes are told with the respect of the victims and the victims' families in mind. We strive to ensure that we provide factual information, but some information is more verifiable than others. With that, grab your mimosas and let's dive in. Welcome back to Murder and Mimosas. I'm Danica. And I'm Shannon. And today we're going to talk about a serial killer. Have you ever heard of the Grim Sleeper? Uh, no. All right, let me read you this headline from History Daily and see if it rings any bell. The Grim Sleeper, a serial killer who was caught by a slice of pizza. (laughs) Still no, but also, how? (laughs) Well, that is one thing we will find out today, along with who the Grim Sleeper is and why he's called the Grim Sleeper. So grab your mimosa and let's dive in. Let's start off with his first victim. It's August 10th, 1985, Westgate Avenue Alley in South LA. 29-year-old black female was found with three... 25 caliber gunshots to the chest. Did they know who she was? Yes, actually. It was Deborah Jack- Jackson. She's a mother of two. Now, with her being the first victim, they obviously aren't aware that a serial killer is among them. It actually wasn't until years later when ballistics tied Deborah's death to seven others. Almost a year to the day, the Grim Sleeper's next victim was found on August 12, 1986, in an alley under a mattress. She was shot twice with the same 25 caliber pistol. This victim was 35-year-old Henrietta Wright. It wouldn't come out until after the Grim Sleeper was caught and sentenced, though, that Monica Hunter would come forward to tell her story of surviving the Grim Sleeper in 1986. We are going to take a second to listen to Monica recount her experience with the Grim Sleeper and how she got away. My name is Monica Hunter. I'm from Louisiana, and I've been out here since I was seven. One night, I was going to my mother-in-law's house on 64th and Central to a tugaway party. So I left my house about at nine. I just had twins, 1986. And I told my old man to watch the kids. I left the money with him, but I had a little money in my pocket. So the bus was taking so long. So I'm like, by the time I get to tugaway party, it's gonna be over with. So. The dude was coming down the street in a, in a yellow pinto, and he was driving real slow, a black brother. So I'm like, oh, shoot. He said, you want a ride? I said, yes, I will take a ride, sir. And he said, I just got off work. So he opened up the door to let me in. He was nice to me at first when I got in the car. Next thing I know, we hit 108. He, he hit the corner so fast. I'm like, what are you doing? What are you doing? He's like, well, um, don't worry about what I'm doing because when I get over here, you 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 gonna find out what I'm doing. I said, sir, I'm I'm not out to try to make no money. All I wanna do is get to the tugware party. He said, oh no, you ain't going nowhere. And he got the screwdriver out the glove department. He was shaking, he was shaking, shaking. He said, when I open up this door, you get out and you get butt naked. By the time I got out the door, the sheet was laying right there on the side of the car. By the door, when I walked out on my side, the trash bins, two trash bins were sitting right behind me. And I'm like, what are you finna do to me? Shut up, shut up, shut the f*** up. And I'm like, oh, Lord, I done messed up. So I said, oh, Lord, I don't know what to do. I said, I just hope he just raped me and just let me go, you know. I hope he don't kill me. He was in his trunk digging for something. And I was ta- I was sitting on the seat on, on the passenger side, taking my clothes off, waiting to get laid down on the sheet. 
And when he came out the trunk, that's when a dude was walking down the street making a noise saying, I got it, I got it. I remember that word. And I'm like, he got what? And I, I looked, I'm like, help, excuse me, sir, could you help me? And I got to screaming and hollering. When I got to screaming and hollering, he dropped the screwdriver. Then that's when I started running. I had one pants leg out. When I started running, girl, he came right in his car, right behind me. He was chasing me and I was scared. I was hitting all kinds of corners and stuff. So I'm hollering, I'm screaming with half a clothes on and I made it to my house. And I'm like, this man know where I live at. So that following year in 1987, the Grim Sleeper took three more victims. Barbara Ware, Bernita Sparks, and Mary Lowe. In 1987, there was an anonymous tip called in to the police That tipster called from a phone booth on January 10th of 1987. He claimed that at 1346 East 56th Street in the alley, he saw a white and blue van drop off a woman and then drop a gas can on top of her. The caller said that they're unable to see the driver but did provide a license plate. Of course, the police checked this out and found that that van was a church van. They also checked out the alley and realized there's no lighting for someone to be able to see well enough to make out a license plate number. And after some investigating, they thought that it seemed to wreck a red herring. Some speculate now that it was actually the Grim Sleeper himself just messing with the police. How long did it take before they realized they had a serial killer? That's a great question, but it's also a loaded one. So let's take a quick second and just talk about what was happening during the 70s and 80s in Los Angeles, especially in the southern part of Los Angeles. First off, the crack cocaine epidemic was just ravishing this area during that time. Because of the drug, gangs were very prevalent. Gang wars were very prevalent. There was also a lot of sex workers, strawberries, and transients that could be found throughout the streets. Uh, Okay, what's a trans? Sorry, what's a strawberry? It's a great question. So it's a term that was coined for sex workers who instead of exchanging sexual acts for money... They actually exchange sexual acts for drugs. I'm not really sure why it was called a strawberry, like what that term was what it was, but that's what that means. But with all of these factors, the drugs, the gangs, the gang wars, the transients, the sex workers, all of these factors that were happening in L.A., this was a prime area for serial killers. Obviously, we're talking about the Grim Sleeper. He was going on during that time. But also during the 70s and 80s, In L.A., you had the Night Stalker, the Freeway Killer, the Southside Slayer, and even Samuel Little killed multiple women during the 80s in that area. And we also have an episode on Samuel Little if you're interested and want to listen to that. Yes. So I'm just explaining this to say that it did take the police some time to put the Grim Sleeper victims together. But this was a really high crime area during this time. But. In short, to answer your question, it was about three years after Deborah Jackson, the first victim was found before they realized they had a serial killer on their hands. So in 1988, a 22-year-old Latricia Jefferson was found on January 30th. Jefferson was shot twice in the chest. She also had a napkin with AIDS written on it, and it was placed on her face. So did she have AIDS? No, this seemed to be another red herring. I just know um, in the 80s, being in that time era, just the word AIDS freaked people out and they were afraid you were going to catch it by touching each other. Or I could see how that could be a red herring, just like, oh, don't touch her. You might get AIDS. And the police were like, oh, let's 
let's don't in- inspect this too much. And I don't know if they, uh, the Grim Sleeper also did this as trying to claim that that was the reason for her death, that, oh, she has AIDS, so we killed her. But after some testing, that was all just a red herring. She didn't have AIDS at all. A few months later, in September of 1988, 18-year-old Alicia Alexander was found shot and was nude in an alley. Toward the end of 1988, the Grim Sleeper did have a victim that got away, much like Monica Hunter, except for this was 30-year-old Anitra Washington. The Grim Sleeper convinced her to get in the car for a ride, just like he did with Monica Hunter, except for he ended up shooting Anitra in the chest, raped her, and took pictures of her before she left his moving vehicle and escaped. Then while bleeding from her chest, she made it to a friend's porch, in which, of course, they called the police. She was taken to the hospital. Then from 1989 to 2002, there were no known killings by the serial killer. That was why he was dubbed by an L.A. journalist or investigative reporter, the Grim Sleeper, because he had, quote, slept for over a decade. In 2002, the killings began again, starting with 15-year-old Princess Bartholomew. She was strangled and beaten instead of shot like the others, though. His killings continued until 2007, from everything I could find, and he was not arrested in 2010. So how did the police find out that it was him? I mean, was it ballistics? Or, I mean, some of them weren't shooting, so I can't see all of them being ballistics. So how did they connect him to the other women so they started off connecting these through ballistics but yes like you said not all of them were shot so they ended up connecting them through dna most of the time it was from saliva found on the women's breast but let's talk about how he got caught through dna the grim sleeper has children of his own and his son had come into some legal troubles in which his dna had been collected nothing to do with what the grim sleeper was doing but it came back as a partial match to the DNA taken from the Grim Sleeper's victims. This led to July 5th, 2010, at a John's Incredible Pizza at a child's party in room number four. The Grim Sleeper was among the adults who are enjoying some pizza and cake and talking while the kids are playing. A busboy, who is really an undercover, er, undercover detective, removed the Grim Sleeper's pizza. That DNA would link Lonnie Franklin Jr. as being the Grim Sleeper. Also, now explains the headline of how he got caught by a piece of pizza. (laughs) Yeah, that's crazy. Also very clever by the police. But so, who is this guy? So, Lonnie Franklin Jr. was born August 30th of 1952. And his killing ground in southern Los Angeles is also where he grew up. By all accounts, from everything I could find, he had a pretty good normal childhood, very dissimilar to a lot of serial killers we hear about where there was abuse and, you know, neglect. I couldn't find anything like that. It seemed he had really good parents. His parents were still married. His mother was very involved in his life. I couldn't find anything that showed signs that he was, you know, this was coming. A lot of serial killers we hear about a lot of criminal pasts or abuse to animals. I couldn't find anything of that nature in my research of him until 1974 when Lonnie joined the army. That was the first time I saw anything violent. 
except for when he went violent, he went violent. Lonnie, with two others in the army, kidnapped a 17-year-old girl while they were stationed in Germany. They kidnapped her at knife point, took her to a secluded area, and then each man took their turn brutally raping her. One even took photos of this awful attack. Lonnie was arrested for this and given 40 months, but only served a year. On July 25th, 1975, Lonnie was given a general discharge from the army. Wait, a general discharge from the army after raping someone and attacking them? Yeah, not even a dishonorable discharge. It was just a general discharge from the army. Very much, we're going to cover it up and let you go. In 1986, Lonnie Franklin married Sylvia, and they ended up having two children together. And I don't know that if it has anything, like, any coincidence that in 1986 he got married, and that's also when his killings began. Hmm. That is interesting. So Lonnie was employed for many years as a sanitation worker in Los Angeles until he became a mechanic. Lonnie had 15 previous felony convictions, but for whatever reason, his DNA was never taken. So what were those convictions, and did he serve any time for those? He did serve time, but it was a little bit like his uh, rape in the Army. Very general time, nothing crazy. But all of his crimes were for things like um, possession of stolen property, grand theft auto. None of them were really violent crimes. He had a history as a, quote, mechanic of stealing car parts to get you what you needed. I heard a lot of testimony from his neighbors that he was helpful and he would get you what you needed, but you didn't ask where it came from. His son, Christopher, was taken and his son's Christopher DNA, of course, was taken and was in the database, which ultimately led to Lonnie Franklin Jr. because it was a close match to Christopher. They knew that it had to be a close male relative, like an uncle or a father. And that's how the police got um, Lonnie Franklin on their radar. After his arrest in July 7th, 2010, the police searched Lonnie's home and found hundreds of photos of women. They also found photos of his victims, including Anitra Washington. That was the one that got away, Rob. Yes, that is the one that got away. Some of the photos found in the home were not of his victims. Some were still alive and well and had just known Lonnie. I know that one person came forward, and it was Christopher, the son's ex-girlfriend while he was in high school. She was among those pictures. Nothing inappropriate, but at first the police dubbed all of these people, assuming they were victims, as they came forward. That was not always to be true, but there are still some to this day that are unidentified. And so Lonnie went on trial for 10 murders and one attempted murder. There are many that believe that his death toll is much, much higher. Okay, wait, was he and Sylvia still married at this time? So they were still married. And from what I could find, they had a very untraditional marriage. It didn't seem like they spent any time together. I'm not really sure why they got married after hearing about their marriage. She would go off to work and come home late at night after work. He was either unemployed or a mechanic. And by mechanic, I mean stealing car parts. And, I mean, I think he fixed some cars too, but that's not what he was really known for. And he had a camper in their backyard, which seemed to be his place to hang out. They went to church at different churches. She went pun intended, religiously every Sunday to her church. And he went occasionally, but to a whole different church. 
They didn't really seem to do much together. They were just a really untraditional couple. I don't, some say that they don't even sleep, think they slept in the same room. So it seems like they got married, they had their kids, and they were like, eh, that's it. It just seems odd that she didn't suspect him or found these pictures or anything. But I mean, honestly, a lot of serial killers and that have spouses are like that, like the BTK killer. His wife didn't suspect anything. No one suspected anything. And he had pictures too, but it just always blows my mind that these women don't find anything or suspect anything. Yeah. It seems like she was very disconnected from her husband. It doesn't sound like they did anything. And it sound from what I heard, she didn't go into that camper. And I would assume that probably a lot of that was found at his camper. Um, February of 2016, Lonnie Franklin Jr.'s trial began, and it lasted for three months before a jury found him guilty of all counts, um, which was of the 10 murders and one attempted murder. On August 10th of 2016, three decades after his first known victim, Lonnie was sentenced to death. However, at the age of 67, Lonnie Franklin was found dead in his prison cell. Was there any foul play? Did he take his own life? What happened? So from everything I could find, it just seemed to be poor health. And I say old age, but he wasn't really that old. So it just seemed to be natural causes. There was no foul play. He wasn't, he didn't kill himself, though he only spent, well, he spent the time in, you know, obviously in prison, but he was, he just hadn't spent that long in jail, so... Maybe jail just didn't, prison didn't sit with him. Thought of embarrassment. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, just joking. It's sad that the victims really didn't get their, the justice that they deserved. No, yeah, I agree. He, he, uh, part of that's just because he got away with it for so long. I mean, he was three decades after Deborah was killed before he was even sentenced to death. That just blows my mind. Okay, so what about these women that that he was killing? Were they sex workers or was it something like that that the police wasn't really investigating? Is that why it took so long? Yes and no. Um, Not all of them were sex workers, but pretty much all of them were drug addicts. And in watching one of the documentaries, his neighbors talked about how much he hated the drugs, the crack cocaine epidemic. He hated that. So I'm not sure if he targeted these women because of that, because he knew they were on the drugs. And he, I don't know if that's why. Of course, he never said. But the fact that they do have all that in common, and that's part of the reason I think that it took so long for police to put this together, is sex workers, drug addicts, transients, you know, they were all dying of so many things. It wasn't uncommon from what I was reading, and it sounded so sad, it wasn't uncommon to find these dead women in alleys. That's true. And there was a lot of crime during that time, and they didn't have the sources they do now with the with the database and everything. If you guys would like to see pictures of Lottie Franklin Jr., or more importantly, his victims, you can do that on our Instagram page. It's murder.mimosas. If you want to talk to us on Twitter, we're there as well, murder.mimosas. We would love if you would rate and review us on iTunes. At five stars. Yeah, only five stars. That's all we'll take um, because we are awesome. Self-love, you know, Mm -hmm. know your worth. And 
if you would uh, like to talk to not just me, but if you'd also like to talk to Shannon, you could do that at Murder and Mimosas Podcast Facebook group. Can't promise she'll talk to you, but she's on there. Yes, I will try to talk to you. I'll get on there more. Sorry, I'm old. That's about all I'm on. <laughs> and if you would like to email the case, we would love to hear cases from you guys. It's murder.mimosas at gmail.com. If you would like to get bonus episodes or get access to the weekly episodes early, you can go on to Patreon and become a subscriber there. We will put up bonus episodes every so often, and we you'll have access to all of the episodes early. Uh, I think that's all we've got for you, so have a mimosa on us. Enjoy your weekend. Bye! Bye.